Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is a part two follow-up from last week's episode, where we talked about shifting from trauma bonds into authentic relationships. Specifically, at the end of last week's episode, we talked about that moment of trigger or that heightened moment in conflict where we have the opportunity to pause and respond newly and make a new choice that is different from that autopilot reactive pattern that we have from the past. So today we're going to dive a bit deeper into that pause, specifically how our nervous system is impacted in those moments of conflict and in those moments of trigger so that we can learn to one, be witness and have awareness of ourselves and our nervous system and how we can shift into new choices and new responses that serve an authentic, healthy relationship and union. We decided to devote an entire episode to this because this is one of those areas where it's much easier said than done. We could profess how important it is to hit pause. And I'm sure a lot of you listeners have probably even heard of this tactic of stopping an argument before we say or do something that we don't mean. And in reality, it's a much different embodiment practice. It's much more difficult. And one of the reasons being because our nervous system is actually involved. Our body is involved. So I think a really helpful place to start is first to unpack what's happening in our nervous system in those moments, because we each have a little bit of a different reaction in those moments, depending on what state our nervous system is in. So when we experience a conflict or when we, we perceive a conflict happening, the message that's going to our body or our nervous system is we're under threat. Something is happening and it, it possibly is, it could be damaging to me in some way. There's a threat to my sense of self. There's a threat to my well-being. There's an action happening. Maybe someone else is screaming or yelling that actually might cause threat to my physical body. And our nervous system, as many of you who listen to our work, it operates outside of our awareness. So it's always getting cues from the environment and then shifting us into a state to deal with that threat. So I think it would be really helpful to just quickly unpack. There are four main states of nervous system activation. Probably one of the most common for many of you is fight. Fight looks like I become combative. I hear something or I experience something I don't like or that feels threatening and I'm screaming, I'm yelling. I might even become physically aggressive. My voice is elevating. I'm trying to literally fight the threat at hand. Then another option might be flight. Flight looks like distracting, avoiding, changing the subject, literally fleeing the topic that's causing the threat so that I can feel safety in that distraction, in that avoidance. Another state of activation is freeze. When we become, as I've described, numb, shut down, we're on our spaceship. I'm still physically involved in the conflict, but mentally or psychologically, emotionally, I'm somewhere else. And then, of course, there's another state, and it's actually called fawn. And what fawn looks like is I actually try to avoid the threat altogether. The second I see a disturbance in my environment or in my relationship, I might go into people-pleasing mode, placating mode with this idea that if I avoid the conflict, I can keep myself safe in that avoidance because that's our nervous system's intention in that moment. When there's a threat, I need to seek safety. So many of us, again, seek safety in one of those four ways. I become combative. I fight the, the threat. I flee the threat by distracting the conversation away. 
I just shut down entirely. So I'm there, but I'm not really there. Or I try to avoid the threat by people pleasing or saying what the other person wants so that we don't even get into that argument or that conflict. So there's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And I love that you're breaking these down at the beginning of the episode because those four responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, you may notice that one of those responses is your body's immediate go-to. Your nervous system always goes into flight. You may also notice that in different relationships or situations, different environments with different people, you go into different ones. There may be an experience where I go into fight in a certain experience with Nicole and then in another, you know, heightened conflict or experience in a moment, I might completely dissociate. I might go into a complete freeze and a total shutdown. All of that comes when we are witnessing ourselves, when we are choosing to consciously observe ourselves and observe our nervous system. That will be information that serves us in being able to navigate in those heightened moments of conflict where we are able to become conscious and are able to then choose a new response. Maybe in a certain situation or say Nicole and I are in a conflict and I immediately want to go into fight with practice and with intentional practice of consciousness, that's that moment where I can see, okay, I'm getting activated. My Maybe my palms are getting really sweaty. My heart's racing really fast. I can feel my face getting hot and flushed. I can witness my physical body, my nervous system going into that response. Once I observe those signals, I can then use them as cues. And again, this takes practice and consistency. I can take those cues and become conscious and think, okay, I'm going to pause. Maybe I'm going to deep breathe. Maybe I'm going to say I need a moment and I'm going to walk away. Or maybe I'm going to react the same way in that same fight pattern. And I acknowledge that part because that's going to be common for pretty much all of us. When we are beginning to practice responding newly, we will fall back into those old patterns. That's something to be expected. When we're speaking in the language of evolution, that is your subconscious pull to stay in the familiar, to have predictability, to have safety. So that's your body actually physically responding to a th what it perceives as a threatening situation in the same consistent way because it believes that's keeping it safe. Now, when we have awareness of witnessing our nervous system and its different responses, we can start to see and pick up on those cues and we can be conscious in the moment to remind ourselves that we are actually physically safe. We do have the ability to respond newly, though I would expect ourselves to, for some time, still fall back into or repeat those old patterns. And when that happens, be mindful to set aside the shame and to not make it personal, to not sit there and then berate yourself or judge yourself that you did the same thing. Well, you did the same thing because there's a very strong subconscious pull that has been there your entire life that is setting you up in autopilot to do the very same thing. So you could actually use that repetition when you're in the same old patterns as a moment to really pause and have compassion and gratitude for your body doing what it believes to be the thing that is going to protect you. It's not working against you. And that's really important to foster and cultivate that safety and that relationship of gratitude and of connected compassion 
with your physical body and your nervous system so that your mind, body, and soul all know that they're on the same team. You're not fighting against yourself while also fighting against another person. So in addition, just building on this idea of that compulsion in a sense to go into that familiar where, again, our subconscious thinks it's keeping us safe. There's a physiological reason why you could listen to a beautiful podcast like this, have all these tools. And then in that moment of activation, forget, right? Out the window they go because we're, when our nervous system is activated, we actually lose access to the part of our brain. Um, For those science lovers out there, it's called the prefrontal cortex where we can have this conscious awareness, where we can remember that, you know, screaming, yelling, or detaching, dissociating didn't work in the past. And we can plan for a future that's different. That actually shuts down. It goes offline. And to really simplify it, our emotional brain, where all of these habits and patterns and the neurobiology, all of those neural networks that we talk about, where they live. So that takes over. Our prefrontal cortex shuts down. And for a lot of us, it does feel very shameful. We wonder why we can read books and listen to podcasts and, you know, have our game plan and then lose access in that moment. It's actually nothing at all to be shameful of. It's the way that our physiology and our brain functions, because in that moment of threat, the priority for our nervous system is solely survival. And survival is an immediate action. We lose long-term thinking because we don't even know if we're going to make it into that next moment. So understanding, again, the physiology, I think for a lot of us might help us relieve that shame and be compassionate in the moment. And like you beautifully said, Jenna, understanding that we might not like the destruction that we've caused, though in that moment, our our physiology was doing the only thing it knew and was actually trying to protect us. So if it's in those moments of conflict that it is very possible that the opportunity to respond newly actually isn't available to you, then we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket and be for some reason, expecting ourselves to just magically in a heightened conflict respond as this highest version of ourselves for the very first time. It doesn't work that way. As many of you have probably found out who are doing the work, who do see yourself maybe in those freeze moments or in that rage where I know there's times for me personally where I will have that fight response or be in this anger rage and I can still, I'll see it happening. There will be a part of me internally that does see, I don't want to be acting this way. I don't want to say that thing. I'm going to regret this, but it still comes out anyway. So my work isn't going to be in the moments. My work is outside of those moments. It's the small, consistent choices that I make daily to build up the resiliency of my nervous system, to build that neutrality and that groundedness or homeostasis so that I'm not constantly living in a fight or flight response. And speaking, you know, from my own personal journey, I've I've witnessed myself enough that the moments I need to watch are before the conflict because one of my go-to patterns of my nervous system is to fall into that fawn response. Anytime I have any indication that there could possibly be a conflict, it's it might not even be an active issue yet. I I, I sense a look. I I you know get the idea that Jenna might be less than pleased um, with what's going on and I have that tendency to shift right into people-pleasing mood, to try and say or do or remove the issue before it becomes an actual point of eruption. So 
I've learned this, of course, by observing myself, by observing the tendency to say and do things that I don't actually mean. And when I explored, well, Nicole, why are you doing that in that moment? And it's because I have this deep rooted belief, again, all from childhood, my past experiences that if I were to speak my truth in that moment, if I were to tell Jenna, you know, the issue I was having or whatever it might be, I have a tape that's playing out that says, oh, if you show that part of yourself, this person might leave you, right? They might not like what they see. So all of this I describe as an effort of protection. And for some of us, again, it comes before the conflict's even there, where we might be that hypervigilant human who's always scanning and you have a partner who comes home and you feel the ruffle in their mood. And before you know it, you're serving them in a very subservient way to try to avoid that eruption. And again, the more we witness ourselves, the more we set ourselves up to, like you're saying, intervene, begin to make new choices before it gets out of control, before I go back into that emotional brain. And for a lot of us people pleasers out there, what you might start to see is before even an actual active fight conflict or issue. Yeah. For <laughs> everyone who does resonate with that people pleaser, we're both recovering people pleasers. <laughs> I know a, a lot of people are. And that that hypervigilance piece, I personally am incredibly hypervigilant. And it's something that I'm conscious of and that I continuously work on because in my childhood, that hypervigilance saved me. It kept me safe. I was able to scan an environment, the adults in the room, know when to walk on eggshells, which was most of the time, when to step away, when to run to someone's side and, you know, try and help or try and please to be the caregiver to the person that was supposed to be my caregiver. So as an adult, I will notice that if I notice, like Nicole saying, uh, possibly there's an upset, Nicole could be maybe reading an article about something completely unrelated to me. And if I see a look on her face or I feel or pick up on something, sense something around me, I can see where I'll immediately sort of betray my own needs in a way and want to run to fix a situation or fix an issue that in reality, isn't there. Though in the reality of my mind, which is really the reality that is constructed from my past abuse and my past neglect in childhood, it's very real to me. So in that process of hypervigilance and going into that fawning and people-pleasing, I'm betraying myself. And over time, when you continuously betray yourself, especially for a reality that actually isn't reality, that betrayal then shows up as this unconscious resentment and eventually is going to surface and is going to explode. And that fawning and people-pleasing <laughs> moment is then going to turn into a fight or flight response, probably a fight response and a heightened conflict about something that wasn't even there in the first place. It was something that I saw through the lens of my past. So in terms of applying this to working through, understanding that we're going to have these moments, we're all bringing those filters from our past. And like you're describing, seeing active threats when they might not even be objectively present. So when we want to begin to work through these moments or begin to make new choices with a partner that we're on this journey with, 
it involves then having these conversations that you're hearing Jen and I I even having right here, right? Once we understand what our go-to pattern is, beginning to bring them to the table, share them with our partners, hear from our partners what their, you know, response might be. And again, giving feedback like, well, I see you, you know, becoming reactive in that way. And that can help us then understand because the goal in those moments, if we're feeling unsafe, the goal in those moments is to create an environment of safety. And the more I can understand that, you know, when Jenna might be screaming or yelling or going into people pleasing mode, that likely she's feeling unsafe, that's going to open a new choice, a new possibility for how I respond. Other than when she's yelling at me and I just become pissed off and start yelling back, um, I might be able to have and hold a much more compassionate space, especially again, if I'm in that more regulated part of my brain, helping then us both create safety in a new way, safety that wasn't there through all of those past experiences, because that's the only way then that our brain's going to be able to come back online and the other person is going to even have access to that new choice. And the only way that this surfaces or that we're able to talk about it now is because we're able to communicate about it in the first place before we're on this podcast behind our closed doors, we are communicating is the communication always neutral and like, you know, (laughs) feeling good and calm? No, 100% not because we're all so human. And I think that's what, well, I know from, you know, reading your DMs and feedback and comments, so much of the value that we're learning that you listeners and those of you watching get from this podcast is actually seeing the dynamic of the fact that we are in a relationship. We are talking about this work and these tools, but we're also doing it side by side for ourselves and with each other. So we do have that consistent communication and it comes with this beautiful opportunity to understand another person. I can only actually understand Nicole once I've understood myself. And that's really important to keep in mind that while we want the other person or the other people around us to hear us out, to hear all of that expression that's in us that has to get out because truth is we want to be heard, right? So many of us want to be heard and are unable to actually hear another person. So even in those moments where maybe there's an understanding, if we're in an argument or someone's icing the other person and leaves the room or walks away, even when there's an understanding of why the other person is doing that, that doesn't mean it's just all fine and groovy and, oh, well, I understand why you did that. I understand it comes from your past. That makes it okay. No, the understanding of it and it's still happening can actually sometimes make it more frustrating because you can see it happening in the moment. You know why it's happening and it's still happening. So that's, again, one of those opportunities to come back to your heart. Maybe for me, it's literally putting my hand on my heart and coming back to realizing, okay, My true nature is this beautiful, universal soul essence in me. It is my heart. It is love. I don't have to look for love when love is where I come from. And I know that I trust myself enough now. I have a relationship with myself where I do love myself. I do trust myself, which means I trust the people that I'm putting in my path. Even if Nicole's calling me out in a moment and understanding that I'm reacting the way I am Because of the past, she might gift me with that wisdom in the moment, and that might fire me up 
even more because I know she's right, though my physical body and my nervous system are too activated to allow what she's saying to actually penetrate and to try it on and embody it. So I need to then take a moment away and actually calm my nervous system down. I do not have an opportunity to respond newly or come back to this unified place with her to work towards this authentic end goal of coming together in real closeness and authenticity if my nervous system is out over here and completely out of whack. So it's my responsibility to have that observance and that witnessing of my physical body, of my heart rate, of that physical reaction, and being responsible enough to say, you know what? I need a moment to pause. I need to go take care of me. I need to calm down, breathe, take a cold shower, whatever it may be. Maybe I need to take a nap or go for a walk and then revisit this conversation later when my physical body is in a neutral place. And you're, you're speaking to the point of just like we were talking about, we lose access to the ability to kind of follow through with all of these, these new plans. We lose access to the, the ability to hear. So if you are the partner who is very gently trying to bring things to the awareness of the other partner, again, this is another opportunity to do so at a time where there is more of a state of regulation. Instead of screaming it in the heat of the moment, what you're seeing, like you're describing, Right, making the pact for yourself so that you can be heard at a later time to hit pause, to wait until your partner or the whole system has stabilized a bit. Because the reality for most of us is when one partner becomes dysregulated because our nervous systems are communicating with each other, it's a short time before really naturally the other person becomes dysregulated too, making it more likely that then we're screaming out this assessment and no one's hearing anyone. So at the core of, I think, everything that we're, we're talking about here is, again, this awareness of our body in particular, each person really coming to know the different states of stress, the different levels of, like you're saying, my heart rate starting to change, my tension in my muscles, and where is the point where I do lose access, and knowing ourselves so much that we can drop in and assess where we're at. Am I in a place to be open to feedback? Or like you're saying, do I need to actually hit that pause? Do I need to step away? And if I'm the person who's regulated and Jenna's needing to leave, that might bring up something internally for me. If I have, as I do, deep-rooted abandonment wounds, feeling alone in my feelings, right? Now here's a moment where what she needs actually becomes the activating trigger for me. So again, really highlighting the role of the body, of our nervous systems, of knowing ourselves, so that we can keep ourselves. And actually it's really appropriate that this month in the self-healer circle, our topic of the month is window of tolerance. How can I stay in a place where I can tolerate stress? Because the second it becomes overwhelming, that's the second my nervous system kicks in. We're using the example here of fight a lot, and you're hearing a lot of that anger and heightened conflict. And I know we focused a bit on that because it it comes up for us, though I also just witnessing the world, there is so much fight response in the world. There is so much anger in the world. There's so much that has been pushed down and swept under the rug and never actually allowed to surface. Now, 
We don't have control over it surfacing or not. That is all energy and emotion that lives within us. That is actually passed on from generation to generation until it is healed, until that really, I call it like a trauma ball of twine, until that ball is undone and unraveled and healed, it is passed down. So we are, I do hear how we're specifically going into fight a lot, rightfully so, though we talked a bit yesterday about how I responded to Nicole when we were repairing after a conflict and Nicole was very kind and came to me and, you know, wanted to offer me a hug or come back together physically. And my body froze. I went into a freeze because I felt incredibly unsafe. Now, what that felt like for my actual nervous system, it felt like every muscle in my body completely tightened up. That feeling of butterflies you get when you first meet someone that we perceive as like excitement. It was that same feeling of butterflies, though it was unsafety. It was threat. It was my nervous system and physical body literally sending me these physical sensations of signals saying unsafe. This is unsafe. This isn't predictable. When I was in conflict, when I was little, no one ever came and repaired to me. There was no reconnection. There was no love there. There was shaming. There was arguing. There was violence. There was emotional abuse and manipulation. And there was abandonment. At one point when I was eight, my dad quite literally just left and then didn't return. So that physical embodiment of all of those realities as a child still reside in me. That's the work that I'm doing. So in that moment when Nicole came to me for repair and offered me, she actually asked, you know, can I hug you? Can we reconnect? And in the moment I said, no, I spoke right away without that pause. I did the same autopilot reaction because I felt so physically sick and unsafe. Now it's in that moment now that I have those cues and those signals about myself, that I have that window of opportunity. I have a moment now to say, okay, this does feel really unsafe. My nervous system is all out of whack. My body is really tense but I'm going to choose something new. It felt very threatening. It wasn't predictable to have someone come to me and offer me love, though I can choose newly and with the support of my partner who's in the same conversation with me, I can then grow that window of tolerance, connecting back with Nicole, accepting that hug, connecting again physically and Allowing that love to be received is actually me, quite literally, expanding the resilience of my nervous system, teaching it that that repair can become my new safety. It can become the new predictability so that in a moment after conflict, instead of that freeze and that terror in my body, I can literally begin to train it to expect that kind response to expect the love and repair and connection. So in many ways, when you hear us saying the word repair, just like you very beautifully verbalized, we could really define repair as a return to safety. And I'm sure a lot of you have maybe heard the term co-regulation. And again, back to what we were talking about earlier, our nervous systems are always communicating. They're scanning the environment for threat, and they're also scanning the environment for possible safety. We, while we often focus on the self and how can I regulate myself because we are part then of a relationship, there's also ways that we can regulate within the relationship. And especially if our partner isn't in 
that emotional brain. If they are still having access to their own safety, those are the moments. And that's why the other day I was able to open up a conversation and it may begin an exploration. Jenna, how can I help you to feel safe right now? And the honest answer for Jenna in that moment, as I think it maybe was, was I don't, I don't know. Right. And maybe it isn't a full embrace. Maybe it's just sitting next to each other side by side where my very calm nervous system, why she might, while she might not be aware of it is communicating with her very overwhelmed or stressed out nervous system. Maybe it's putting a hand on, on her leg. Maybe it's breathing together. Maybe it is embracing or hugging and allowing that space and the safety to downregulate the person who is overwhelmed. And I really appreciate that you're expanding um, this conversation beyond, you know, fight into all of the different and the shutdown, because another one I think I want to highlight here is flight. Um, because I know this can be really frustrating um, having the partner who distracts, who picks up their phone in the middle of a, a really intense conversation and is now scrolling on it. You know, we could feel in the moment, wow, you're, you're just invalidating me, diminishing me. You're just ignoring me now. And in reality, for that partner, what that might be is their attempt to regulate. And I speak this, um, Lolly is, I think, a really prime example <laughs> of someone who, Lolly, I love you to death, and she's very aware of this. So, um, of someone who does use kind of scrolling, distracting um, ways to regulate her very overwhelmed system. And in the beginning, I, I would think she was rude as hell, if I'm being honest. As if it's intentional. Right. I would think it was like, wow, you just totally ignored me and you're on your phone and I'm here, you know, pouring my heart out about this issue. And, you know, understanding for me, that's a very vulnerable, difficult place to be. And wow, you just shut me down. Um, and again, until I understood that it wasn't her shutting me down, it wasn't intentional at all. It was her body's way of regulating, of fleeing the threaded hand and going to a safer space. So again, understanding all of the different ways that our habitual attempts at safety might look. Um, and on the surface, they might look you know, invalidating. They might cause us our own reaction. And similarly, in that moment, after exploring with Lolly, we can understand, you know, get curious. How can I hold space in a way? Maybe it is putting a pin in the conversation. Maybe it's having it on a different day when we both have more resources available to us. So repair is a return to safety, getting curious. How do I, how can I experience safety anew? How can I accept the different ways that my partners might need to experience safety anew? And can we begin to then build that space in the relationship, which for some of us might mean giving space and then returning because that return is important. It's not sweeping it under the rug and on to the next time where we engage in the same cycle. It's having these moments of clear conscious communication, which for a lot of us do happen after the fact. It's really empowering to continuously remind yourself that all of those nervous system responses, whether it's fight, flight, freeze, fawn, every one of them, that autopilot habitual reaction is your body's attempt to keep you safe. That is how it has learned to be programmed to go back into regulation. That's what it's attempting to do. It's fighting or freezing or fleeing away from the situation or fawning and people pleasing because it's trying to regulate. That's how your nervous system has learned how to regulate. That's how it's learned to return to safety. Now, 
that's not necessarily the most workable way for an authentic, true relationship. It's a workable way to have an autopiloted relationship where we just recreate the cycles of the past over and over. So here is where we're teaching our nervous systems to respond newly, to regulate in a different way, which is done outside of those moments of conflict or outside of those moments of reaction. And it's in the embodiment, back to the word that we love to use here, of that teaching that's actually the healing moment. It's beginning to lay down a new neural pathway that the more we consistently repeat that can over time become our familiar. All we knew was what we once have done. So now we do need to practice through all the discomfort and all of the vulnerability and all of the uncertainty of how will it actually be received? We have to lay that imprint down. We have to teach our nervous system through the embodiment of safety in a new way, and then do it consistently over and over again. So to speak to your point, it likely isn't going to be in these moments where we're about ready to lose it. It's practicing in all other moments. It's coming together after smaller type issues or conflict and teaching that repair, because that's the learning that will then impact what happens when we really need it, when we're really going to lose our mind. We will have then the neurobiology to fall back on. I love visualizing things. I, I see very visually in my mind. So when we talk about neural pathways, if you're new to this term, Imagine that your mind is a forest filled with a bunch of trees. There's pathways there or trails that were put there in existence throughout your childhood. They're a result of the past, your past patterns. So when we're creating new responses or choosing to create new neural pathways, we're essentially saying that we're going to walk and create a new path in this forest that is not there. So you're going to be walking through a bunch of trees, a bunch of twigs, a bunch of brush. It's going to be a little rough the first time. There's no clear pathway. So then you follow through with the same practice again the next day and the next day and the next moment. Each time you have that consistent practice or you make a small promise to yourself and you follow through, you're walking down this new trail. Quite literally, imagine you're walking over the same trail in that forest. Then you're walking over it again the next day and the next day. Eventually, it creates a clear path where you do have an, a new automatic response. Your mind does have a clear direction and a clear trail to go. It's powerful because these new responses that we're creating, these new neural pathways, are ones that we're consciously choosing. They're ones that we're consciously choosing and creating in alignment with our authentic self, with our highest self, with that version of us that we wish to be or that in our mind's eye we can see, that sort of goal that we're all working towards. There's empowerment and possibility and choice there where we get to be the creator of those pathways that then over time become our automatic responses. And when we stop walking down those old neural pathways of the past, those trails eventually get covered up. Our mind and our body does not go into this auto response of the past because that trail, that pathway no longer exists because we've so consistently walked down this new path or created this new response that becomes our new automatic reaction without us even having to think about it really. 
And while we you know, continue to talk about this in the context of a relationship, we can practice our own ability to regulate through stress and create safety on our own because chances are other things in life are going to be experienced as stressful, as a threat. And you'll see that similar patterning probably in your nervous system's response. So we will have many opportunities throughout the day, even outside of interacting with another human to see these states of dysregulation and to give ourselves the opportunity. And these might be the spaces where we practice, where there isn't another human with all of their own crap and their own nervous system that could dysregulate me. Practice just regulating my body's stress response and creating safety for myself. And to speak to your point, the more I do that consistently, the more I'll start to feel more resilient, more confident. When it now does in the future involve someone else, I will feel a bit more confident. And so for many of us, what that means, and this might not be you know, intuitive, is generally taking care of our nervous system. All of this begins with the foundation of making sure that our body is sleeping the way it needs, that we're moving our muscles and that we're resting them, that we're teaching our body to breathe in a way that isn't just continuing to keep our body stressed. Because when we have a foundation of wellness in our nervous system, we set ourselves up to be able to return back to safety. We set ourselves up to choose a much more resilient response. And while I say it's you know not as intuitive, that then means making these choices every day to make sure that my nervous system is as healthy as possible. So as other factors you know become involved, I know how to return to safety on my own and in an interaction with someone else. The majority of this conversation and last week's episode were based around wanting to heal a trauma bond or shift from trauma bond into authentic relationship, meaning with another person. There was a lot of request about actually being in relationship with another person. So we have put these two episodes really in the container of relationship. Though, as you hear us say every week, (laughs) if it's relationship with another, then it's also relationship with self. So Like I mentioned last week, for those of you who are not in a relationship with another where you are doing this work, you are still in relationship with yourself. So there's almost an upside there where I think last week I called it your awareness bank. The more you observe and have awareness of yourself, all of that information about your body's cues and signals, all the wisdom your body is sending you, that goes into your awareness bank. If you're spending time now to become conscious and aware of yourself outside of an external relationship, you are doing eons of work to foster and cultivate your knowledge of your relationship with self. That is one of the grandest gifts that I believe you could ever give another, where you could go into a relationship then that is matching the frequency of the work that you're doing, all of this awareness and internal work you're doing now That is what you're going to attract, like attracts like. So imagine then going into a next relationship or consciously choosing to go into a relationship with someone and saying, hey, you know, this is me. These are all of the things that I've learned about me. That might just unconsciously unfold all of these opportunities to learn about the other person and what makes them tick, why they respond the way that they do. So then you're actually starting a relationship in such a more advanced or progressed space versus 
the request that was coming in for these episodes of how do I heal a trauma bond? You know, I really love this person. It feels toxic and chaotic and traumatic, but I want to stay in it. We want to heal together. It is possible to do this work and get to a place where you don't actually have to enter that first stage. It's not like a trauma bond is the first expectant stage. So as we're also talking about co-regulating in relationship or those moments where it's difficult for me to to create safety in my body. And Nicole mentioned, you know, maybe she could put a hand on me. I want it to be clear too that you don't need another person or human to regulate in those moments. Nature is my all-time favorite co-regulator. That might literally mean going outside and laying on the grass, just putting my full body against the grass, or going and being around trees, being under the sun, maybe picking up our cat, snuggling a pet or an animal. Those are all other great opportunities to regulate yourself, to create safety in the body. It does not mean that you have to co-regulate with another human. And the safer we are, the reason, again, we continue to revisit this word in terms of our nervous system, to be a safe person means to allow the opportunity for full self-expression, both of myself and the future person, if I'm not yet in a relationship, that I might be interacting with. Safety is so integral to authenticity. If we don't feel safe to express our thoughts, our feelings, or just be who we are, then we're never going to be able to truly be in an authentic relationship with someone else. So to speak to your very beautiful point, learning how, and this is why every time, and we actually have an event for the self-healer circle right after this today, I often make what might sound like a very grand proclamation that I truly believe that people on this journey are doing the work to heal the world. And this is what that is grounded in. The safer we are as individuals, the safer the space then around us becomes, which means the safer the world becomes. The more authentic we can be and then the gift we give to the world around us is that same opportunity to stand in their own authentic self-expression. So again, we all want authentic relationships and Very few of us are aware of the work, the process, the body that is involved with actually creating that safe space for that self-expression. And actually allowing and accepting and really expecting that discomfort. That discomfort is going to be there. And all of these moments where I'm choosing to respond newly, I feel like I want to throw up. I feel physically ill and Instead of shying away from that and running away from that, that would be the equivalent of just sweeping it under the rug. We have gotten so used to doing that. That's become our natural response as a society. And this autopilot where, you know, we have a feeling, we ignore it, we shove it down. It's the reason so many of us are so disconnected from our bodies. Our body is sending us signals and messages literally all day long, all night long, yet we as a collective, very rarely tune into our body. We very rarely look at our body as this vessel of wisdom that is actually giving us language and giving us communication. Most of us instead are detached from our physical body as if it's just this machinery here doing things. And we live up here in this mind that just continues in the same thought loops over and over and over. It's walking down the same old pathways of the past. And then we wonder why months and years and decades have gone on and we're still stuck. 
The same situation keeps happening. The same, quote, toxic people keep coming into my life. The same sabotage keeps happening. Why is that? Because my mind is just up here on repeat. When we drop into our body, pay attention to its physical responses. When we begin to learn our nervous system, only then with that awareness are we able to even witness the difference in expanding that window of tolerance, in expanding that resilience, and physically feeling the embodiment of how different that is. How when my body feels safe and isn't in this reaction, everything around me changes. My relationships change. My environment changes. The weather around me is just sunny. Things seem to work. Things seem to fall into place because my mind and my body and my heart and my soul are all aligned and working as one ecosystem instead of really fighting each other. So for all of us who have this beautiful, authentic desire to heal and change the world If you want to heal the world, then the work begins with healing yourself. As you change, as you heal, as you respond different, all of that energy is emanated outward. The weather around you changes. That quite literally shifts everything around you. As I become different, so do the people and situations around me. So for many of you that the first step in this journey after, of course, you acknowledge yourself, celebrate yourself for entertaining what for many of you might be a very new idea, hearing, tuning into this podcast about conflict. I'm sure maybe some of you weren't expecting to hear so much of a focus on the body. So really honoring the curiosity or the the ping that even inspired you to click on this podcast today After that celebration, the first step in the journey for some of you might be to even become aware of how little time you spend in the body and then to begin that journey, and I do mean journey, of reconnection before then you can become aware of the state of nervous system regulation and then translating that into new choices in the moment. So as always, really wanting to highlight the process of all of this and honoring each and every one of you who are you know inspired to begin to think about these new concepts and to integrate these new tools into your healing because this is again in my opinion how we change the world there is more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy it is a quote by nietzsche that i have said probably a hundred times on these podcast episodes and every time i do i get so many dms or comments back asking about it And it really is what we keep circling back to, that embodiment, the wisdom that already resides here in our bodies. We don't have to search externally or find a guru. We just need to choose to be conscious and begin to be the objective observer and witness of our physical selves which happens to be what we are particularly doing in the self-healer circle this month, as Nicole mentioned, in that window of tolerance, observing ourselves and our nervous system and our body. And for those of you who have not heard of the self-healer circle or have heard us mention it here, that is our online global virtual membership. It is a self-led membership where each month we release a new course with new tools, four live events where you can hop on with Nicole and I, external experts and thousands of members literally from around the world, all different ages, races, cultures, backgrounds, all coming together with 
a unified goal to heal, to unravel the patterns that are not our true selves, and to really be a conscious creator of the lives that we want, to create the reality that we want, and to become that true self that we dream of, that life that we want. So the self-healer circle is opening three days from now when this episode comes out. It's opening on September 7th. 2022. The only way to enroll in the self-healer circle is by joining the waitlist. You can join the waitlist by going to theholisticpsychologist.com. You could either go to theholisticpsychologist.com slash waitlist, or if you just go to theholisticpsychologist.com, you'll see it right on the front page. You'll see a button that says join the self-healer circle waitlist. So join that waitlist. And then on September 7th, you will receive a link from us to enroll and purchase your membership. We are really excited about welcoming in this new class of self-healers. We have some founding members who have actually been in the self-healer circle for almost three years now. It'll be three years in November. So it is an amazing, global, expanding, growing place to find accountability partners, to interact with us and the team and just have a community because the journey is lifelong and the journey can be very lonely and very isolating. So it really has become a sacred space to just be and be in the presence of others who are embodying and really beginning this work. So theholisticpsychologist.com, join the self-healer circle waitlist, and we will be sending out links to enroll on September 7th. We hope to welcome you in. And if not, we thank you for being here, watching, listening, sharing these podcasts with friends, family members, anyone. We continue to do these always ad-free so that we can give you an uninterrupted listening and viewing experience. So your sharing, your commenting on YouTube, your engagement with this podcast, your reviews on Apple are a tremendous support to us helping this work reach as many people around the globe as possible. So we love you. We thank you. And we look forward to being with you again next week.